Welcome to the podcast Bench Talk. I'm Joe Hilditch, High Sheriff of Herefordshire. Today I'm talking to Ian Rivers, a man of remarkable endurance. In May 2021, Ian set off from New York using only a sextant as the main form of navigation to row across the Atlantic, all in aid of two charities, whilst also raising awareness of the mental health challenges facing serving and veteran personnel. I followed him online as he battled the seas, but it was like being behind a window as it's impossible to imagine what he went through as the challenges of every day were more than I have borne in a lifetime. Today's bench talk comes from a bench on the River Wye in Hereford, a somewhat more peaceful bit of water with the cathedral behind. Hello, Ian. Hello, Joe. So take me back a bit. What's your affiliation with Herefordshire? How did you, how did you end up here? So what brought me to Hereford in 1991 was was the military. I used to be in a regiment called 29 Commando Regiment, uh, which was based in Plymouth. And uh, from there, I, I volunteered to do selection and, and join the Special Forces, which actually brought me to Hereford at the time. So you probably can't talk too much about the camp and what went on there. No, no, that, that would probably remain a dark secret. But <laughs> the fact that I was here for quite a long time, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's a lovely place, Hereford and Herefordshire. Yeah. So how many years were you here? Um, so I came in 91, so I've physically been here, what, 30 years now? Yeah, 30 And you're going to stay in Herefordshire? Yeah, I, I, as I was explaining before, um, I've been here more now, as in timelines, than I've been anywhere else. But more importantly, um, both my children were born here, they consider that home, I consider Hereford as home, and so there's no, there's no sort of like plans to move away. Why did you get, in, why, why did you become a military person? Why did you get involved with the forces? Um, it started as a childhood thing, really. Uh, quite a feral upbringing in London. And what I mean by that is I used to run around, sort of swim the River Thames, cycle across London to my, uh, my, my grandparents on the other side of London. And we kind of run around quite a lot. A lot of freedoms. And you'd only go home at night when you was hungry. You know, there's no mobile phones. And it gave me a sense of adventure. And the only thing I could see out there at the time that would give me that sort of like work ethic of adventure was the military. And uh, so I was drawn into the army at the at the age of 18. So no family background? No, um, both my parents were in the army for a small period of time. My dad did national service. My mum was in the army for maybe about 18 months. It's where she met my dad, actually, and uh, they came out. But it's a very, very short service in, in, in that sort of sense, not as a, a longer career that I had. You talk On your website, you talk about pure navigation, which is obviously um, where we're going to come to later with your trip across the Atlantic. But how did you come to pure navigation? So navigation for me goes back to when I was at school when I was doing geography and um, I learned how to navigate with an ordnance survey map. You, you, know, you had contours and you looked at shapes on there and related them to the ground and there was a thing called a compass that gave you direction. And I used to just love it, that sort of like interaction with nature and the environment. And um, obviously later on, in, as, I, as I went through my navigation career, things like GPS came in that sort of like pretty much told you where you were at any one time. And I, I kind of thought they felt like they distracted from the journey because you wasn't really tuning into the environment. You didn't really kind of, you, you missed a lot of stuff. I've always used natural navigation, you know, the, pure, the purest type navigation, because I just feel that you, um, you sort of like tune into the environment that much better. I read that um, you got kidnapped in Syria at one point and you managed to escape using pure nav- navigation. Perhaps you could tell, I mean, first of all, what were you doing in Syria? Was that part of your forces? No, so I was, I, I'd left the forces at that point and um, I'd embarked on sort of like a, a civilian career. And I was, I was working with some people over there. And uh, unfortunately, we, we just got kidnapped. And it was, we were kidnapped to order. There was nothing we could have done about it. 
But um, we, we all managed to, to sort of like get out of there. But um, I got out by escaping in an ambush. We, we was ambushed. I found myself on my own in the middle of nowhere at night. And I used nature's natural elements, you know, which way trees lean towards the sun, which in that part of the world is south. So I knew that the other side of the lean was north. And I knew I needed to go north because that's where the Turkish border was. And for me at the time, that's where safety was. And um, my second marker to make sure I'd gone north was what side of the rocks the moss grow on. And in the northern hemisphere, it's on the north side because the sun's on the southern side of it. And I'd confirm I'd been going north during the day by the, um, the moss on the rocks. And just those two elements um, got, me got, to, uh, got me towards the Turkish border. How long did it take? It took three days. And um, I would only move at night and I'd lay up during the day. Clear to- skies? No, unfortunately, it was it was about a week before Christmas, and in that part of the world, it, there's lots of snow, it's raining, there's lots of mist. So I, I never got to see the sky. So everyone said, "Did I use the stars?" I said, "Well, no, because it was cloudy." And then during the day, it, it was misty, so I, I couldn't see the sun to use that either. And that's why it, it was down to the fauna and flora, and um, the trees, the moss, Amazing. that type of thing. So did you go back into Syria after that, or? No, it, it basically that was the market to say it was too dangerous for people like yeah. me being there, and yeah. uh, it, it, we, the sort of like the NGOs and the the media yeah. kind of groups sort of like moved away from going back inside. So let's get to the journey. So, had you rode much before you decided to take this epic row across the Atlantic? No, I, I, I remind people that we were in lockdown the year that I did the build up to it, and um, like three lockdowns. We weren't allowed to move between places, so I got four days on the water with my boat. Just, just four whole days and one night in training. And I, was it enough? Well, I got across. Well, but, it obviously was. But um, I would like to have more because I never really practiced the navigation. I never really tested the water maker and things like that until I got to the other side. And um, so I did four days rowing before I actually set off for the challenge itself. So tell us, um, tell us a bit about the statistics of the whole journey, just so that we can recognise the enormity of the yeah. challenge that was facing you. Well, to row from New York to the Isles of Scilly, unsupported, solo, has never been done before. So that will be a world first in itself. But the distance is in nautical miles, which is slightly longer mile than a normal mile. Uh, from New York to the Isles of Scilly is, is, is about 3,200 nautical miles. And I rode 3,485 miles because you never row in a straight line. You got a bit line. diverted. Well, the weather, you, you basically go with the weather. Mm. And... Um, the weather never really blew in the direction you actually wanted it to go. So you going a little bit north, a little bit south, a little bit backwards, a little bit east. And it generally took you in the, the direction of the UK and the Isles of Scilly. Did you lose lots of weight on the journey? Um, I worked with uh, Leeds Beckett Sports Science Department, it's, uh, the nutrition side of it. And we worked out oh, I'd need between six and 7,000 calories a day to maintain to row between 10 and 14 hours. So I've made up the ration packs for um, for eating, and but even eating 6,000 calories <clears throat> to 7,000 calories, I'd lost about 8 kilos by the time I got to um, the Isles of Scilly. What's that in old money? A couple of stone? It's about a stone. Yeah, about a stone. Just over a stone. Yeah. So your boat must have been particularly robust as well. So how did, how did you equip that? Where did you find that? Um, I, funny old thing, I found it online. It was a three-year-old Rossiter. Like one does, eBay. <laughs> it wasn't quite eBay, but it's a, it a, a similar sort of thing. Yeah, I found it. I got it from a guy called Andy Styles, who uh, had it built to uh, row the Lagomera to Antigua route with uh, two other guys, so three of them on it. It was a, what I call a pure class boat. It has very little windage, which means you have to row the whole way. 
And um, You mean it doesn't get blown at all? Yeah, it'll get blown a little bit, purely because it sits above the water. But um, it didn't get too much wind. And it's not necessarily a good thing to have windage on the boat like that because the wind is not always coming from the direction you wanted it to come from. Yeah, quite. Hence the extra miles. Yeah, yeah. So I got blown north quite a lot. I got blown south a lot. Um, On occasions I got blown backwards sort of 30 miles, which is a bit of a morale... So you, would you see, could you see that with the equipment that you had? I couldn't possibly see it, but they would tell me I went backwards. Oh, your team? My support team, crew said, yeah. oh, well, you went backwards 30 miles last night, Ian, when, I, when you was asleep. I was like, oh, thank you for that. And then, you know, because normally, unless I'd take a sight fix, I wouldn't really know where I was. I'd just generally going in the direction I wanted to go. Yeah. And I call it circles of uncertainty. So when I had a fix, my circle was, you know, down to about two miles. If I hadn't got a fix for about 10 days, it might be as big as 50 miles. But um, it didn't really matter because I was generally just going east. So you used the sextant? It's basically a protractor. It measures the angle between the horizon and a celestial body. And in this case, the one I used the most was the sun. And with that angle and an accurate timepiece, you can find out where you are in the world. And uh, I had had an accurate timepiece and um, it was a a special edition uh, B-Squadron watch that was given to me by Elliot Brown. And the beauty of the watch was, it's what I call an old school watch. I had a big hand, a minute hand and a little, and a little hand, and also I had a really big second hand. So when I, when I took my sight, I could look at it. Essentially, it takes an angle. <clears throat> You've got an accurate timepiece, which is set for uh, Greenwich Mean Time. And if you know what time you take the sun sight and Greenwich Mean Time, you can actually work out where you are in the world. Those two simple pieces of information. There's a little bit of maths involved in there, you know, it's sort of like, but simple maths, as I call it. And you got 3,200 miles, 3,400 miles on that. Yeah. Amazing. Why, why was the boat called Sentinel? Well, I thought Sentinel, firstly, was a really good name. So I, I thought, Yeah, don't get me wrong, it is a good name. But I named it after the uh, Special Air, Air Services Regiment Association's mental health programme, which they've, they've deemed it called Sentinel. And because I wanted to raise awareness of that, I also called the boat Sentinel. So that's where the name actually came from. You must have had some pretty scary moments as well. I, I wouldn't call them scary. I, I, more concerning moments. They probably were scary, but because all of a sudden it became busy, you, uh, it kept my mind busy. But the, the, the scariest one was when I was capsized in a really big storm. It was a storm force 10 plus, which meant it was, it was an average wind speed of like 55 miles an hour, gusting 70. It was at night. So did you know it was coming, and so you went downstairs, as it were? Not that you got stairs, but... Yeah, so I had a warning it was coming, and um, but the storm just intensified even more. And what made it really bad was the eye of the storm came over me, which creates wind change directions really quickly. Because it created the wind changes directions, it created big waves from different directions. So at night, when I couldn't see them, I was in uh, defensive mode, i.e. storm mode. Had the parachute anchor out, which holds the nose of the boat into the waves and the wind. And but a wave came from a different direction, mm. and it picked Sentinel up. And people say, "Oh, how big were the waves in?" I say, "Well, they weren't waves; they were walls of water. They were huge." And it literally picked Sentinel up, got to the top of the wave, which was steep, and then just threw her on a on her back. And it's it's a bit like a car crash, the, the impact of it. And um, that's what broke my ribs nearly knocked me out and um, caused a lot of damage to electronics. And then the wave crashed on top of us and um, flooded quite a lot of the boat. 
and it wouldn't the boat's self-righting so sentinel once the wave had finished would pop back up the right wave but the wave had to finish its power first and it was then was probably the most concerning moment i wouldn't quite put it in scary territory but it was certainly concerning sounds quite scary to me yeah then if your ribs are broken and your comms stuff had been smashed to pieces but how did you cope after that it took about two days for the storm to abate for the boat to so you were inside for all that time yeah we so the storm took about another 12 hours to get its full ferocity to finish with and um, once it was daylight I could assess the damage to the boat and myself and then it would probably take another 24 hours to repair the boat to get it sort of like able to go in a direction and in that time um, my ribs kind of calmed down a little bit it was painful but especially if you're being bashed around Mm. and you've got broken ribs already yeah the most painful thing believe it or not and those that have got bruised ribs before or, or broken them or cracked them well, no, he's actually sitting up from laying down. That mm. action was like, you know, proper painful. Whereas rowing, it's mainly your hamstrings, glute and lower back that you're using and, and you're locking your shoulder blades off. And uh, so you can minimise the, the sort of like discomfort there. But um, certainly getting out of bed in the morning was the, the hard part. Out of bed? What was the bed? Probably a contradiction of terms, really. It's, it was a mattress that was almost like a cocoon. I couldn't actually straighten my legs in there. I was always in a cocoon position. And um, the, the headroom was about maybe two foot, as in from mattress to, 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 the, to the roof. And I sort of like scurry down, sit up, and I, I had one little sitting position in the boat, and that's the only place I could actually sit. So you never stood up for the whole time you were at sea? No, no, because if I was moving from one end of the boat to the other, which wasn't very far, I'd always be in a crouched position yeah. because centre of gravity I'd sort of like get thrown over the side or something. Surely, so you'd become like a little beetle. Yeah literally literally. so when I arrived at the other end I had, I had severe trouble standing up properly. <laughs> we'll come to that. So that was the worst what was the best? Being a sort of pure navigator in celestial navigation I, th- I think it was probably the summer solstice on the 21st of June because as a navigator that's the time when the sun is at its highest zenith in the northern northern hemisphere and it happened to be a really nice day the sun came up when I was rowing and the dolphins came alongside. I rowed all day. And it was I just, quite calm, I think, as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a really calm I day. I saw that on the video. It, it was a really calm day. It was a beautiful day, nice and warm. So before the sun actually set, I decided to just take an hour and just take in, just take in the, the environment, you know, the ambience, and just watch the sunset. And the, um, the dolphins came back. It, it, was, it was special. They've got a habit of just coming, whizzing down the side and, and sort of like going along the bow on it and, and, and you just see their fin initially and then they pop up it was really good so then you get onto shore and your team are all there waiting for you you must have fall, nearly fallen over I imagine you're not using the same muscles when you're rowing to when you're walking so I never really know what to I didn't really know what to expect so I knew uh, Nick, Nick would be there Alex would be there and maybe hopefully my, my kids will be there to greet me but what I didn't expect was sort of nearly a thousand people of the islands turning out to greet me which was very almost overwhelming if I'm honest because I hadn't seen that many people before yeah coming ashore <clears throat> to get the record of unsupported I literally had to park the boat step ashore and tie it up so I parked the boat stepped ashore and at no point up to that point had I stood up properly and the harbour master who was um, verifying the road he stepped in to shake my hand saying congratulations you've done it and he realised I was falling backwards and it went from a handshake to a man hug <laughs> as he caught me just before I fell back into the water. Amazing, amazing trip. So 
So after how many days did you say? 85 days. So 85 days, 22 hours, 59 minutes and 20 seconds. So what's next for you? Are you planning another row? If you'd have asked me that the day I, I landed, I'd have definitely said to you it doesn't involve a row. <clears throat> but now after being back for nearly seven weeks, I like the idea of going rowing again, but maybe not in such a big boat because um, uh, Sentinel was a particularly big boat, which, um, which helped me in the big storms. But it, it took a lot of rowing to keep it moving. Stick to the River Why? why not? Yeah, exactly. So let, let's come around to the two charities that you did this for, because that was mainly what it was about. Yeah. You've raised a, a hell of a lot of money. Um, one of them we've talked about a little bit already, so that was Sasra. Yeah. I mean, I, I always believe that charity begins at home, because if you don't help the home charities, no one's really going to help them out. So for me, it was Special Air Service Regiment Association, because I was part of that, and that's very much part of the, uh, the Herefordshire landscape. But the other one was St Michael's Hospice, and I don't think I know anyone in Herefordshire that hasn't touched someone at some point or in the near future. And they're sort of like two really big charities in Herefordshire that, that um, are worthy of support. And is there something in particular about Sentinel? Yeah, I mean, the re- I think there's a lot of stigma for mental health, even just the term mental health. It's, it's been, the, the awareness has um, been raised quite a lot over the last 10 years, especially during COVID in the last 18 months. But um, the sort of like mental health program with the uh, the sentinel program is more, more of a peer support network really and i often say that if if you wake up one day and you've got a little mini mental health crisis going you, you know what do you do i mean you you probably wouldn't know what to do you know do you go to your gp do you dial 999 do you go to a and e whereas you know if, if you know that the sentinel program one of your 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 former buddies you can just give them a call, have a cup of coffee, and they can, they're not there to be a practitioner, they're there to sort of like signpost you for help. And that it's probably an easier route in to, for help than the, the big institutions, which can be quite scary when you, you are actually having a mental health kind of problem. So it's basically ask a buddy, talk to a buddy, and then you'll get signposted, or you can get then signposted. Are you trained? Are you, are you, are you a, is it called a sentinel? Yeah, so the, it's basically doing a mental health uh, first aid course, very similar to a first aid course you might do at work. You know, you, you're not a paramedic, you're not a doctor, but you, you, know, you, can, you can hold their hand until a professional comes along. And that's what a sentinel's about, really. And they're also you know, going to coffee mornings, you know, you'll see your friends and, you know, a lot of people have got help because a wife or a girlfriend has gone to someone else in the association and said, look, I think so-and-so is having a bit of a problem. Do you think you can help out? And then it's that early intervention that really kind of helps people. Mm. Uh, so now I'll get to my rather more mundane question after having been all the way across the Atlantic and sillies and with all the challenges that you face. Can you give me your three top tips for tourism in Herefordshire? I think, what to do, I mean, where to go? Hereford and Herefordshire is a very special place. <clears throat> it's quite difficult to get to because there's no like major arterial um, roads to get here. But once you get here, um, there's, there's lots to do. But I always feel it, it could enhance its cafe culture, its street cafe culture. And um, you can sit amongst the old buildings, have coffee, and maybe at weekends they, can, they could close the, the city roads, you know, over the old bridge and create a, like a cafe culture along there. And that would just draw people in. Just the old town near the cathedral, it's near the uh, Bishop's Meadows. There's a lot going on there. And I always feel we could enhance that bit a bit more. Number one, number, number two? One. Number two is um, walking along the river. The River Wye is a really special river. It's quite diverse in the areas it goes through and uh, it's all like enhancing the towpaths. 
and just promoting that really as, as sort of a form of exercise and, and, and circular walks that you can do along there, maybe to a pub. Do you have a favourite pub? Probably my the favourite pub is The Bell in uh, Tillington, only because it's the local one to me. And it's, it's very community-based. You, you go there and it's the same people in there. The community like to support it and it, they actually do good food as well and good ale, which is also important. Thank you, Ian, for telling us about this adventure. In mind and in body, it's been an extraordinary and existential challenge that not many people would even consider. Obviously, your military training has set you in good stead. Nonetheless, it was a remarkable journey. Hats off to you and the amazing amount of funds you've raised. I'll put a link in my bio, so if anyone would like to further donate towards Ian's charities, uh, they can do so there. Thanks very much for talking to me today. Well, thanks, Joe. It was great chatting.